Have you ever been confused about God? Now, we believe that God is sovereign, that he is over all things, controls all things, is almighty, and yet we can become confused when things like the shooting in Las Vegas happens. And we wonder, why didn't God stop that? Why didn't God intervene? Why is there such evil that takes place in this world? And whether it's an event like that or something that happens to you personally, some tragedy or tough time in your own life, sometimes we are confused about God. We're unsure about what he's doing, why it's going on. We're unclear about what way we should go, what we should trust. Sometimes the question is simply asked, why do bad things happen to good people? And we begin to think, well, maybe we're not as good as we should be, so maybe if we work better at being good, those bad things won't happen. Sometimes we're just confused about God. Back in the 1940s and 1950s, there was an evangelist by the name of Charles Templeton. A very popular guy. Thousands of people would flock to hear him preach. Later on, Billy Graham would hook up with him, and you know how popular he became. It was estimated that about 150 people a day were converted to Christ through this man's ministry. Wow! But then he began to doubt God because of suffering that he saw in the world. He couldn't figure out, he couldn't reconcile, how could a loving God permit such suffering? It just didn't seem right. And then as he heard more from the science community about evolution being the way this world came into existence, he then began to doubt all of Scripture and simply set it aside, even to the point where at the end of his life, he wrote a book entitled, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. How could somebody so into the Word and so passionate about it, bringing other people to the Lord, then reject it all? Or what about this guy, Martin Luther? In his struggle to get right with God, who sees God not as loving, but as vengeful, as angry, and who's desiring to then try to get right with God, figuring out, how can I do it? I'll work harder. I'll give more to God. I'll be more devout to God. I'll even punish myself for my sins so that God sees I'm sorry. And yet none of that could bring him peace with God. But he did find peace, found peace in the message that God declared in the Bible. And from his discovery, we have been blessed with some very foundational truths. The foundations of our faith, that's our series of messages this month, as we are focused now on the 500th anniversary of that Lutheran Reformation. There were five main points that were emphasized. They're called the solas, which is the Latin word for alone. And here they are. By grace alone, 
by faith alone, by Christ alone, by Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Last week we looked at that teaching, that foundation of grace alone. Today we want to focus on by faith alone. And we'll focus on the words that the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, where he writes, So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? That is, by you doing something. Or by your believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Well, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. What was the difference? Both of the men knew Scripture. One could not understand how a loving God could permit suffering. The other one could not understand how an angry God could possibly save him and that he needed to do something. One found peace, the other did not. What was the difference? Five letters. Faith. The word faith, or believe, as a Greek word in the New Testament, is used as a noun 239 times. As a verb, we'll find that word believe or trust used 233 times. As an adjective, so the word believing, it's used 59 times. You put that all together, and you see that that word in one of its forms is found at least once in every chapter of the Bible of the New Testament. What does all of those numbers mean? Faith is important. Well, exactly what is faith? How do we get it? How are we supposed to use it? What is it going to do for me? Let's take a look at those questions today. What is faith? The Bible gives a beautiful description of faith when it says in Hebrews 11, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance 
about what we do not see. Simply put, we can say faith is conviction and confidence. Conviction simply means a strong belief in something. We may not understand all the time why things go on the way they do in this world. We believe that God is is all-loving, that he's powerful, and all-wise. That's the truth. But then when terrible things happen, we have a hard time trying to figure it out. That's where faith steps in and simply trusts God. God is all-loving, all-wise, and all-powerful. God is sovereign, in control over everything. And he says he works out everything for our good. Charles Templeton couldn't see that. He couldn't reconcile the two. Well, God didn't ask us to figure it out and reconcile it. He simply said, trust it. Trust him who is loving and powerful and wise. No, God does not approve of evil. God does not start evil. God knows it'll happen. That's man's choice. But God is there to heal and to comfort and to guide and to use it in his plan. Faith simply trusts. And when that doesn't make sense sense to us, then faith is simply going to be there to replace our reasoning. We can't understand the ways of God. The ways of God are beyond our ways. And so we will simply do what the Apostle Paul has told us to do, to take all of our thinking and to make it captive in obedience to Christ. Charles Templeton started down that slippery slope to unbelief by doubting by questioning what the Word said. When science gave him a better explanation for things and dismissed God, then he too dismissed and rejected God. So what do you do when you have doubts? Doubts are going to come from around us, from inside of us. Doubts can cause some fear. They can be troubling, debilitating, and even shipwreck our faith. But faith can step in and silence those doubts. Faith will simply listen to what God says and trust it. Remember how Jesus silenced the doubt of Thomas, his disciple? who would not believe that he was alive. Jesus came to him and showed him, but then told him, stop doubting and believe. For blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Faith will silence doubts as it simply trusts God. And as it trusts God, it builds in us a hope. There's a beautiful passage in Scripture 
where the Apostle Paul says, we even rejoice in our sufferings. Because suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God pours out his love to us through his Spirit. Luther once said this about faith. Faith is a living and daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times and never be wrong and never fail. Have you ever uh, been driving in a storm? A bad storm where there's a lot of rain. You know, the way in front of you is kind of blurred. And you're not quite sure about all the other traffic going on around you. You're maybe even not quite sure about where the road's going to be leading because you can't see. What do you do? They just kind of start daydreaming. You turn on the radio and say, well, I'm going to pay attention to something else right now. You probably grab that wheel real tight, don't you? And pay very careful attention to what's going on and where you're going. That's what we are to do with faith. Simply hold on tight to the promises of God and have that absolute confidence that he is in control and his promises will be fulfilled. So... Do you got faith? We've got troubles. We've got some fears. We have some doubts. We have some hardships. We have some sadness, some sorrow. But you've got faith. And is that faith growing? Is that faith useful to you? You might think, well, sometimes my faith isn't so strong, and I don't know, I'm not like these other people I see. Remember, Jesus said faith that's simply the size of a mustard seed can be that which provides for you a place of refuge, a fortress, and a rock on which to stand when things seem shaky. So get faith. But you might wonder, how do I get it? Does it just spring on me? Does it just happen? Paul told us that faith is something that's created by God. Listen to the beginning words again in this text. So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Again, by you doing something? Or by you believing what you heard. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. God knows we need faith. And so he gives us his spirit to work that faith in us. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus that night when Nicodemus was wondering, how can I get into the kingdom of God? Jesus said, you need to be reborn through the Spirit and water, referring to baptism. We need a rebirth. We need to be revived in our spirits. 
Just as God breathed in that breath of life to Adam, that first human being, so God needs to breathe in faith into each and every one of us. And he does. He does that through his word. That's what Paul was saying. Didn't you come to faith? Didn't you believe when you heard the word? That's why God directs us to simply listen to him in his word. That's where he comes to us. I like to use the illustration of a, a cassette tape recorder. Now, for all you children, you can ask your parents what a cassette tape recorder is at home. I thought of using the illustration of a computer and, and, a, and a disc, but you know, computers come already loaded up with all the programs to make things run, and that's not the way we are. We're more like that, just that machine, that cassette player that just sits there. If you wanted to play some music, the tape has to be put inside. It has to be plugged in and you have to press the button so it plays. That's what we're like. God has to put the gospel inside of us. He has to plug us into that spirit to give us that energy, that life. And he hits the play button so that beautiful gospel message is playing in our hearts. You got faith? God wants to give it in his word. Don't resist the spirit. Don't ignore where God comes to you. But listen and learn and hold on to what he gives you, his promises of grace and his love and his life, all in Jesus Christ. Accept what God has humbly planted in you through the spirit. And here's what the Spirit will do. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Here's what the Spirit does. He centers us on Christ. And then through faith, he credits us with righteousness. Yesterday I was in Solano State Prison and ministering to inmates there. And I met a, a man, an inmate who was new to our ministry there. And he told me about his background and, and how he ended up in prison. Um, he had his degree in uh, uh, mechanical engineering I don't think that was his crime, though. Uh, <laughs> and and he, had a pretty good, he had a pretty good job, he said, here in the valley. Made a lot of money. You know, he had his fast car. He had his friends and his girlfriend. And then he said he started to make mistakes. He started to hang around with the wrong people. And that led him into a life of drug use. And then led him into a life of crime where he committed armed robbery. And it was on his birthday that he was arrested, and now doing 14 years. And he said to me, Pastor, you know, I thought I had it all. Man, I had the money, I had a good job, I had friends, I had a party life. But then, when I was arrested, I realized there was something that I didn't have that I really needed. 
He said, that was the best day of my life. He says, as crazy as that sounds, when I was arrested, that was the best day of my life because it reminded me, I need God. See, it doesn't matter how well we're taken care of here with all of our possessions or whatever else. If you don't have God, you don't have life. If you got debt, everybody has debt probably, right? Whether it's the debit card you got to pay off, the credit card, maybe it's a car loan, maybe it's a mortgage, we all got debt. So we work hard to pay that off. But we have a debt with God too. A debt that we cannot pay. For God said we need to be perfect like he is perfect. So how could we ever get to heaven? That was Luther's struggle. There is no way we can pay off God. But Jesus did for us. Jesus came and paid off our debt of obedience with his perfect life. Though he was tempted in every way, the Bible says, as we are tempted, he never once sinned. And that righteousness of his is given to us through faith in him. That's why the Spirit centers us on Christ, so we know him and his life for us. And all of those offenses, all of that guilt, and all of the penalty that we deserve, he has taken on himself. He paid it with his sacrifice, his death on the cross that paid God's justice. Yeah, we've got debt. And we can't pay it. But Jesus did. A few minutes ago, I talked about conviction. And I said conviction simply is a strong belief in something. But you know, conviction also has another meaning. It's when a person is pronounced guilty of a crime in a courtroom. but not in God's courtroom. That conviction was on Christ and not on us. He says of us, you're justified, so that we can say it's just as if I didn't do it. He pronounces us innocent because of Jesus. Faith trusts that. Paul wrote, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Really, only God could, right? He's the judge. But Paul says, it's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We have debt we cannot pay but Jesus did for us. And that's the good news. We are right with God by faith. So when we feel haunted by our guilt and confronted with our crimes against God, take this advice from Luther. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit 
that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. And if your conscience weighs you down, he said you should not believe your conscience and your feelings more than the word which the Lord who receives sinners preaches to you. You're innocent. You're free. You have life. So now what? I don't have to do anything. And maybe I can just keep going on with my life the way it is because what does it matter? I've got grace. St. Paul's answer to that was, absolutely not. Because now your faith has been crafted for good works. Last week we looked at that well-known passage in Scripture, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Immediately after that, Paul says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God crafted us, created us, made us his masterpiece to do good works. For what purpose? Are those works necessary for our salvation? Some think so. The Apostle James recognized that. He said, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, our works are simply the product and the proof of saving faith. I've been crafted in Christ Jesus, made his masterpiece. That love and grace of God is in me and now is going to come out from me. It's the product of faith. And it's the proof that God's grace is in me. Martin Luther once quipped, We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. We are products of God's grace, prepared for good works that God has already set in advance for us to do, works that will share God's love with others, works that will show God's love, works that will bring God's love to others and glory to God. It's by faith we are saved. The good works accompany them. What a beautiful treasure we have in that truth. By faith alone, I'm right with God. When you have something valuable, use it to your advantage. When this life gets crazy, when there are things that happen in this world or even in your own life that you can't figure out, have faith. Know that because you are right with God through his grace by faith, then you know everything else that happens in this world is all part of his plan. Faith and grace, a firm foundation to stand on. 
Luther said, God doesn't love us because of our worth. We are of worth because God loves us. Amen.